Give it up for Candice, uh, just one story of many of how people say, I'm here to be used in my places, spaces, and relationships for the cause of Jesus. Um, and so if you have a likewise story of just God using you, why don't you come let us know, come tell us. We're hungry to hear that stuff. Not just that we be encouraged, but we build up one another. It's wonderful. It's not about pastors, it's about the church, all of us playing our parts. And we actually have been looking at that this year, that God wants to help us to cultivate in our places, spaces, and relationships we designed to carry hope wherever we are. And for this reason as well, we've been looking at Acts, because Acts is a good snapshot of the early church kind of doing that. And so we've been in Acts, and last week we started a series called Salt and Light. The key scripture is Jesus saying to you, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're not designed to blend in or fade out. We're designed to stick out and make a difference for the cause of Jesus wherever we happen to be sprinkled. And that's what we're looking at with salt and light. And so we're looking at Acts because we get good, good intel on how that looks. And so we have kicked this off last week. Dunks took a look at the first missionary journey of Paul. We're carrying on the story. We're in the second missionary journey of Paul. God bless you. And we're going to find some good stuff in there. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 16, you can do. It's going to be on the Sky Bible behind me. And what we're going to see is three different people, each with a different set of chains of what was keeping them bound. But for all of them, they are all bound by one thing, and that is the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take a look at that. We're going to see three things in this text. We're going to see three people encountered, and we're going to use those as our headings. We're going to take a look at the woman that was encountered, and that's going to be the case of the gospel to the religious. We're going to see the slave, and that's going to be the case of the gospel to the oppressed. And we're going to see the Gentile, and that's going to be the case of the gospel to the secular. And as we're going, your heart might be stirred. You might even have people come to your mind. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in that as we open this together. So Acts 16, we're going to read from verse 11 to 15, the first encounter. It says this. So, setting sail for Traos, we made a direct voyage for Samothrace and followed the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi. So that's where we are, Philippi which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women that were gathered there, one who was called a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the first person in the story is a woman. But I've got some profiles that I want to put up just to help you see this a bit clearer. This is a woman who is a rich 
business woman. It says here in the text that she was uh, a seller of purple goods. In that day, that was difficult, man. You had to have some bucks to be able to pull that off. It meant she was dealing in luxury fashion items. This is a CEO. You might think of this as a person who lives in Santon, has a store in Santon City, but she also has like a house on the coast. This is a chick that's got it all made out. She's a boss, right? This is Lydia. That's who she is. But her spiritual state is that she was very religious. Uh, now, it says that she was a worshiper of God. That's a technical term for someone seeking out the God of the Hebrew Bible. This is a religious person. Now, for some of you, as you hear the, the thing saying she's religious, you think, oh, that's good. No, no, this is not good. Jesus wants to set people free from religion. I found that out when I was in Catholic school. I was tormented to be sent to a Catholic school. Like religion level 10 out of 10, right? So if you don't, know, if you don't have that context, we were forced to endure mass for seemingly weeks at a time, but it was apparently once a week. And I tried my best to disrupt everything that was happening in mass. So I did many things. I hid communion elements. I found the DB board. I flipped off the mains so that the, the microphones wouldn't work. I hid Father Michael's robe dress thing. Uh, I did many, many things. I put little, many, I collected cell phones because in that day we started having cell phones at high school and I hid them under the stage and set alarms to go off every 10 minutes <laughs> so that there couldn't be a hymn, a thanks, a prayer or a bit of a preach without anything that could cause harm and chaos was my mission, right? And so culminating in when we, now, if you haven't been around a Catholic mass, when they come and they do communion, it's a very solemn thing. And they have choirs of angels singing in the background. And so they had some Latin, panis angelicus, or whatever, playing while you come get mass. So what did I do? I snuck into the sound place, and I put on Offspring. <laughs> Obnoxious punk rock band. Uh, I never, if you don't know, that is not saying that they want to hear. And so Father Michael never saw me again. Uh, I lived to cause him trouble. That was my mission. And what I found in high school is I hate religion. I was quite relieved to find that when I opened the Bible, Jesus wasn't who he was portrayed to be in Catholic Mass, but that Jesus also hated religion. That he spent all of his time when he was arguing, arguing with religious people because they had completely missed the boat of what God is about. And so this Lydia woman is in the, in the camp of people that's religious, but Jesus is about to encounter her and show her a better way. Religion is all about outside in. We've got to put on something uh, from the outside. We've got to externally manage how we are so that we think God will approve us. The religion is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is inside out. So just a few illustrations. When it comes to acceptance, religion says, I have to do stuff right so that God will accept me. The gospel says you're accepted based on Jesus alone. The gospel uh, as well, we look at obedience. Religion says I am obedient so that I can get stuff and approval from God. When it comes to the gospel, it says I'm obedient because I love God. When it comes to uh, identity, we have uh, religion saying my identity lies in how hard I work. In the gospel, my identity lies in the one who died for me. Jesus wants to set people free from this chain of religion. She started, God started in this story with Lydia, 
A woman who from the outside would have looked like someone who is with God, but actually someone who doesn't know him. How do we know this? Because in the story, in the account, she became baptized. She was saved. Said God opened her heart to that. So application one is say goodbye to religion and follow Jesus. Now, some of you might need to reprogram yourself into understanding that Jesus died for you. It's not what you can do for God. It's what God has done for you. And some of us might know that, but we've slipped back into, I need to do things right. I can't come to church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to earn my way. God wants you to stop striving to earn grace because that makes the cross of no value. Jesus died for you. So you are accepted and loved in your state as you come to him. Hillsong said this in one of their songs, nothing you could do could make him love you more and nothing you've done can make him close the door. Because of his great love, he gave his only son. Everything was done so that you could come. Hallelujah. Well, how did the gospel come to this Lydia? It came through preaching. It said uh, in the verse that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, the brilliant thing is that God opens the heart. That's good news for us. If we want to be salt and light and want people to know Jesus, it's good news that it doesn't all depend on us, that God is the one who opens the heart, that it doesn't depend on how eloquent you are. And so application two is you've got to get out of your salt shaker. God says you are the salt of the earth. How good is salt if it just stays in its container and we've got lacquer chips, maybe we've made slop chips because it's like Sunday, glorious, and then we want to salt it, but no, it's too beautiful. Leave the salt on the, on the shelf, that's where it belongs. That's of absolutely no value to our palate. It's of absolutely no value that you say, I'm a Christ follower, but I'm not willing to get out of the salt shaker. God wants to use you. He says, tag, you're it. You are my witnesses. I want you to be my hands and feet. And he wants you in your spaces, places, and relationships to say, I stand for Jesus. Because people are in chains. There's Lydia's out there that don't know that they can be set free until you tell them. Tag, you're it get out of the salt shaker. So there we've got Lydia, but wait, there's more. It's like a very mock ad. So in verse 16, they continue ministering. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying, these men are servants of the most high God and proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I like that. What happens after this is she gets delivered, but it took Paul getting really annoyed for that to happen. Sometimes we don't need the compassion of Jesus. Sometimes we need to be annoyed enough at people's oppression that we're like, this is over it now. We're going to do something. So then Paul gets annoyed. He turns and he says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So let's take a look at this profile. We've got a slave girl, but not just that. She's a fortune-telling slave girl. This is a girl that was a medium. She was hearing from spirits. In fact, in the original, it says that she had a spirit of python, which is a reference to the oracles in that area of Philippi from ancient Greece. She was tapping into spirits, ancient spirits, to tell the future, and her owners were using her like a toy to make her money. As she would fortune-tell, they would take the money home. That's who she was. What was her spiritual state? Well, she was oppressed. 
I love the fact that this girl comes after Lydia because Lydia is well put together. She's a businesswoman. She's a boss. She is seeking God. She is a worshiper. And here we have someone on the totally opposite end. She's not just irreligious. She's demon-possessed. We, I love the fact that this story comes because for some of us, we can't relate to Lydia. Some of us are like, oh, that would be nice if that was my story. If my chains were, I was trying to seek God. Some of us came from darker places. Some of us were found by Jesus in the chains of addiction. Some of us were found by Jesus swapping multiple sexual partners, trading ourselves out cheaply. Many of us were in much darker places, and it was obvious for all to see that we are oppressed. But guess what? Jesus steps into Lydia's life, sets, sets her free from religion. Jesus steps into this girl's life, sets her free from oppression. I love the fact that this story has these two different uh, people that are, that are put in. And how was she reached? While well, she was reached by a miraculous deliverance. In verse 18, we read that that this command happened. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. So one thing I notice about this casting out is that there's no Latin incantation. Where's the crucifix? Where's the garlic? Where's the, what what else is part of the starter kit? Um, I don't know what else is part of the starter, the holy water? So, I don't know, a silver snake, apparently. Right. Stick, right? Makes more sense. Uh, I don't know what's all part of what we see on the big screen, but that's not how demons are cast out. It's not to say this prayer exactly, bring this item. No, no, no. It's just the authority of Jesus that casts out a demon. It's not based on some ritual. What we see there is get out of her in the name of Jesus and it's gone. Jesus cast out demons on his own authority. Paul says on the authority of Jesus, get out of her. And that's what happened. And people are still oppressed today. There are still people that are oppressed today. This is not a relic of the past. But what we see here is a woman. And she has chains of oppression. But for those chains, there's one who breaks those chains. And his name is Jesus. And when she gets set free from this demon, she's not just spiritually liberated. She's economically liberated because she's of no good anymore to her earthly masters. They can't exploit her. She's socially liberated. This girl is liberated across the board because Jesus entered into her equation of her darkness. Boom, she gets set free in every respect. It's an amazing account. So application one, there is power in the name of Jesus. And uh, on a personal level, I've been in situations where people have been influenced by under the oppression of demons, and it's a scary thing if you're stepping into it for the first time, because it's not like you become a city group leader and you get trained first thing. How do you cast out a demon? Uh, let's just get that on the training. It's not like we do the steps you can be at city, saved, added, built, filled, purposed, casting out demons. It, it's not on the scale of like normal training. And so I came into the situation... Oh, I don't know. I just know Jesus sets people free. I'm going to pray a two-sentence prayer. Let's hope things go, go well over here. And so I just trusted in the name of Jesus and just said, on the authority of Jesus, would you get out of this man? Nothing seemed to happen. I'm like, this is not what it looks like in the big screen. I want some writhing. I at least want some frothing. I at least want some, some, some visual evidence. Maybe if you can levitate a bit. Uh, I don't know. Like we, we need to see something going on. He just looks at me with the same eyes. I'm like, I still trust Jesus uh, did something. So I go home. Don't have his number. That was an oversight lame. See him the next Sunday. Now, this man was very oppressed because uh, he had a lot going on in his head, voices, torment. He hadn't slept in years properly. And next Sunday, he came to me and he said, James, 
I slept a full night's sleep for the first time in years right after that prayer. He said, in the morning I heard the birds singing and I had forgotten the sound of birds. And that he had forgotten the sound of streams and that he had forgotten what clouds look like. And he was in such torments, he said he was set free by Jesus. The thing that I love about that story is he didn't say, you set me free. He said, Jesus set me free. And the other thing I love about it is I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I just know Jesus knows what he's doing. And I, th I, want, I want you guys to take it upon yourself to know that Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, has given you authority to say, on Jesus' authority, do this. So Jesus is the one that we look to. He's the mighty one. Uh, and so there's power in the name of Jesus. And so therefore, application two, let your light shine in dark places. Get out of your comfort zone. Don't just do what's easy. God is calling us in particular to go to the darkest places, spaces, and relationships that we know because that's where the light of Jesus shines the brightest. It says in Philippians, you shine like like burning lights in a crooked generation. God is wanting us in crooked Joburg to shine our light in the darkest places, spaces, and relationships. Don't hold back because that's probably where God's favor is, is when we follow him in obedience to the darkest of places. Your industry that you work in might be a dark place. God is calling you to that. Your workplace, the places that you go, school, varsity, whatever, your neighborhood, God is calling you to bring his torch and his light into that place because he has said, you are my witnesses. In Johannesburg, Chaos, into the ends of the earth. So let's do that. Let's not shrink back. Let's not be a people that blend in, that are silent. Let's be Christ followers truly. And let's take the light of Jesus to the darkest places we know because his favor is there. So that is this account. But not only that, but things go pear-shaped as we look at the Gentile. Not pear-shaped for, yeah, we'll get there. Uh, things go pear-shaped because these guys that own this woman, and used her for their gain, get livid. So we see now in verse 19 to 24, it says, but when her owners saw that their, gain, their hope of gain was gone, they didn't care for this girl, their hope of gain was now gone. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they disturbing the city. They are advocating customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their clothes off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he did the opposite. He put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they are irritated. They've lost their source of income exploiting this girl. A whole bunch of guys get involved, beat these guys to within an inch of their life, tear off their clothes. These guys are oozing with blood and they get thrown into prison. And here we meet this tormentor, the jailer. Now, the first thing on his profile is he was an ex-military man. How do we know this? Because all civil service jobs were given to ex-military soldiers. So this is a man that's not sentimental. This isn't a man that's religious. This is a man that is a cruel man. A man that what speaks to him is honor. Honor is the thing that he looks for. And so he, that's what he is. But his spiritual condition is that this is a secular man. This is a man that doesn't claim to be seeking God. This is a secular guy and a cruel secular guy at that. 
The reason why we know he's cruel is he's told don't hurt them. What does he do? He puts them in stocks. If you don't know, stocks were things that you put your feet into that stretch your body into positions and angles that they should never be. So that at, consistently you are just being stretched in a, in a place of torment. Not only that, but he put them in the innermost cell. The innermost cell in Roman cities was a cell below ground. Now, if you just go look at the article that National Geographic put out like a week or so ago, the 10 worst prisons in history, you will read about the ancient prison in Philippi. Guess where we are? The ancient prison in Philippi. And the innermost cell, what was horrendous there and the way they designed it was that because it's below ground, they also built the prison in such a way that the human waste and sewage of the city flowed into the jail and settled in the innermost cell. So these men are being tortured with human waste around them. Imagine if you stood out for Jesus and that's where you ended up. How would you react? Well, let's see how they react. Verse 25. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were moaning. Oh no, wait. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners listening to them. And suddenly there was an earthquake. Bad things always happen when you put God's servants in prisons. Now there's an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights to be rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Let's just go to that far. So how did the gospel come to this Gentile? It wasn't from, from hearing about Jesus. It wasn't even experiencing the power of Jesus. It was by witnessing the very character of Jesus in these men. It was something of this holy character of these men that stuck out. Firstly, it was this unconditional worship. Verse 25, they are worshiping God at midnight. Feces, stocks, no worries. We're worshiping God. Paul loved God to the end, to the bottom of his soul. Nothing could stop him worshiping God. This was a man that was undefeatable. If you wanted to kill him, He's cool with that because then he's going to be with Jesus. If you wanted to make him suffer, he's cool with that because then he'd be shaped into the character of Jesus. If you want to let him live, he's cool with that because he's like, yeah, to live is Christ. This is a guy that no matter how you want to troll him, he loves Jesus so much that he can't be touched. This is a guy that worshiped God in every circumstance because his worship wasn't based on his circumstance. It was based on the God that he loved. Yeah. Tertullian, the um, early church leader, said the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. These guys had their hearts so fixed on the hope of heaven that nothing that happened on earth could rob them of their joy and their worship. They were so rooted and deep in God that their joy was unshakable. So that was one thing that stuck out to the jailer and he thought these guys have a worship that can't be stopped. And the second thing was their godly character of kindness that really wooed over this jailer. It said that there was an earthquake and that the, the prison doors flung open. Well, I don't know if you know that in that day, the, the prison guards would be executed if even one prisoner escaped the prison. 
So these guys, having been unjustly jailed in the worst jail in the world, when those prison doors went open, because they'd been with Jesus in worship, they decided to act like Jesus. They decided no one's gonna escape this prison. Doesn't matter how long these people have been in prison, they said, no, we're gonna save this man's life right here. And everyone banded together to say, no one's leaving this prison, we're gonna save this jailer. And it stuck out, he'd never seen such honor in his life. All his days he served Caesar. He had never seen the kindness of King Jesus on display. And at that moment, that man came and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? For he had never seen such character in his life. Application number one. You need to live a life that displays praise. We need to display God through a lifestyle of praise. Now, this isn't always easy. I acknowledge that. But when tragedy and when hardship hit us, that's when our faith is only being tested for the first time. That's when we really see what our faith is made of. That's when we truly see where our hope is hitched to. And we see how devastating that is to us. And we often have found that our hope is much more in the earthly things that are stripped away than God himself. But God is calling us to cultivate a heart that hopes in him by praising him in every circumstance. We don't worship God based on a circumstance. We worship God in every circumstance because our worship is never based on a circumstance. It's based on the God that we worship and our God doesn't change. We worship him based on him, that he's merciful, that he's loving, that he's wise, that he's faithful, that he's great, that he's a healer, that he's the bread of life, that he's the lamb, that he's all those things. That's why we worship and nothing can take away the fact that God is who he said he is and he is the same God today as he was then. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever and so nothing can rob us of our worship because the thing that we worship doesn't change. It's God. So when you get thrown into hardship, I want you to think of it through this lens that you are growing your hope and growing your faith in Jesus. When we worship God through our tears, we are cultivating a hope and becoming unshakable like Paul and Silas. And when we start to cultivate that, the world looks at us and goes, that person believes in something that's legit. Legit. My mom I've only known her in a wheelchair. I've only known her in a life of suffering. I've never seen her in prosperity. I've only seen every day sucks, never gets better. Every day is horrendous. But on the other hand, that's her circumstance. But all I see all my life growing up from a boy that was an atheist is that my mom worships God. She, she reads the Bible, she prays, and she has a joy that is tangible, and she has a hope that's unshakable. And to me, it stood for the fact that the one that she worships is legit. Because this is an argument I can't refute. I can try and bring scientific arguments against Genesis. I can bring whatever arguments I want against the validity of Christianity. But one thing I can't remove is here's my mom. She worships Jesus and she has a joy that is unshakable. Surely her God is real. And it stood out for me really strong. That through her tragedy and suffering, she had a hope that was unshakable. And God is asking you, are you willing to stick out for him? And if you want to have a hope that's unshakable, we need to train that, cultivate that with a lifestyle of worship. So God is challenging us on that. But it's a case of as you see the tears and as you feel the hardship, opening up your heart, looking at who God is, and turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his wonder and grace. God wants to use you so people see Jesus. And then looking at all three of these characters together, we have a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. One thing that we learn from that 
is the gospels for all people. We have a gospel. We have people that are rich and poor in the story. We have lower class, upper class. We have Jew and Gentile. We have absolutely every denominational division thing that you can think of. They're all there in the story, and the gospel reaches them all. Many different chains, one breaker of chains, and his name is Jesus. We also see this, a slave, a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Prejudices that Paul would have held when he was a Pharisee, a sect of Jewish Okies that were very serious about the law, and they got it a bit twisted. They would pray every day, thank you, God, you didn't make me a woman. Thank you that you didn't make me a slave. Thank you, didn't you didn't make me a Gentile. So what we got, sexism, classism, racism. And what does God do? He uses Paul, who has this prejudice and has grown up with that, to go to Philippi and evangelize and convert who? A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. God loves to troll your prejudice. Whatever your prejudice is, God goes, we're gonna flip that script and you're gonna be used to save the very people that you hated. And now Paul's family, these are the first Christians in Europe. Can you fathom this? That the first Christians that are breaking out into Europe are this ragtag team of this woman, the slave, and this Gentile. God's like, that's it. That's my A team. That's who I'm gonna go and do it through. God uses the things of this world that, that they are considered foolish to shame the wise. God is the God of the great turnaround and he uses these prejudices of Paul against him. And he says, a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. That's who I'm going to put my spirit on. That's who I'm going to save. And so that's why Paul says in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female because we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the answer to sexism, classism, and racism is being in Christ. Because when we're in Christ, we're not defined by being a man, woman, black, white, lower class, upper class. We're defined by we are one family in Christ Jesus. And so we are a multinational kingdom people. We are heavenly ambassadors. I am not black, white, South African, what are, what are, I am one with Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters. And so that's what we see in this text. And so wrapping it all up, we see some chains. We see religion, one set of chains, oppression, another set of chains, secularism and despair, more chains. But what we see through that is people hearing the good news of Jesus with Lydia, experiencing the touch of Jesus with the slave girl, and even seeing the display of Jesus through these people with a Gentile. Many different chains, one breaker of chains, and his name is Jesus. But the challenge that I lay before you is that this didn't happen automatically. This wasn't some Harry Potter thing. This was something that God did through people. And you are his people. And so here we are. Our city's not Philippi, it's Johannesburg. But God has placed you here. And like it was said earlier by Candice, it's not random. Every place, space, and relationship you've been given, God is saying, I'm calling you to be salt and light there. There's people in chains. And I've given you the keys and that is Jesus Christ. Will we dare to be a people that proclaim and that show the healing touch and that display with our lives who Jesus is? God is calling us to that mantle. God is calling us to that day. And so will you stand with me as we kind of close this out? I don't know which part of this sermon was challenging to you, and I don't know what stuck out for you. But hopefully, two big things stuck out for you. The one is that Jesus is amazing. He's the breaker of chains. And the other one is, He has called you to a high calling. That in your places, spaces, and relationships, 
He wants to use you. Not the person next to you and not some professional Christian. You. You're the one that He wants to use. But for us to bring the hope of Jesus in all of these spheres, we need to be strong carriers of the hope of Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is through worship. And so as we close, we're intentionally closing with worship. You know, I know that it seems like a formula that we just kind of like preach, bring a response song, and it looks like we're not thinking about it. We're thinking about it. We're thinking that you need to be a carrier of hope through being a worshiper of God if you're gonna bring the hope of Jesus in your places, spaces, and relationships. So that's why we're gonna sing, here we wait, seek your face, and come and make your throne upon our praise. Even in your darkest hour and even in your innermost cell, that we might sing in wonder and surrender we fall down. Let every heart be holy ground. So that we're not dismayed by the darkness that we're surrounded by in this world, in this city, in your places, spaces, relationships, because we know we are called to be God's torch bearers and bring that light in that place. As we sing, we hear not by power, not by might, but only by your cross, we come alive. Around us are people that are in chains, but there is one breaker of chains and his name is Jesus. And he's given us the keys to unlock oppression. That's why we can sing confidently, chains fall, fear bow, here now. Jesus, you change everything. Lives healed, hope found, here now. Jesus, you change everything. Let's worship Him with all that we've got. Let's worship the one who's worthy, the breaker of chains, King Jesus. We love you. Amen.